Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Um, October 16th is, of course, Selection Day. Right across Alberta, in fact, because it's uh, provincial legislation that oversees municipal elections in Alberta. Uh, the question, though, has come up recently, and I mean, there's been some controversy about uh, donations and who's getting what from whom and what about some of these other groups, who's funding them and how much are they spending? Do we need more rules around municipal election finance? Uh, well, a new piece uh, from the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary today suggests that, that we probably do. Uh, joining us to talk more about it is uh, Jack Lucas. He's an assistant professor of political science at the University of Calgary, co-author of this piece here today. Uh, more at policyschool.ca, by the way. Uh, Dr. Lucas, great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk first of all about the, the lay of the land, because, uh, I mean, obviously the province oversees uh, municipal elections to some extent, but uh, does the province set these finance rules or do cities uh, set them themselves? The finance rules are set out in the provincial uh, statute that governs local elections. So it's a provincial decision, ultimately, what these um, what these limits are. Okay, so I mean, in that sense, is, is Calgary much different than, say, Edmonton? No, that's right. It's the same set of rules. Okay, good to know. All right, so... Let's talk about what those rules are. I think people might be a little more familiar with some of the rules and restrictions that have been put in place provincially or federally in terms of how much you can give, how much you can spend. Do we really have anything like that at the municipal level? There are some limits on how much you can give. Anyone can give, a person or an organization can give up to $5,000 a year per candidate um, in municipal elections. Um, And... uh, Candidates have to disclose any donations over um, $100. But uh, aside from those limits, there are no limits on how much you're allowed to spend. So um, there's no cap. There's no spending cap. And there's there are no rules about um, corporate union nonprofit donations. They're all eligible to make donations as well. Okay, so that's uh, that's changed provincially and federally, but those are still okay at the, the municipal level. That's right. In, in, in Alberta, they are. Now, in some other parts of Canada, cities have introduced rules, like in Toronto, for example, that ban corporate and union donations, but they're still legal in Calgary. That's interesting. Now, when it comes to the spending side, I, I mean, there are limits on how much people can give to candidates, as you say, but uh, when it comes to spending, are, are there any limits at all? No. No. As I say in the paper, the sky's the limit. You can spend as much as you want. And uh, that means that the overall spending numbers, as you might expect, tend to be quite high in Calgary compared to other cities. 
would it be redundant to have donation limits and spending limits? If we have limits on how much can be donated and therefore limits on how much candidates can collect in the first place, do we need a spending limit on top of that? Well, that's a good question. I think that's uh, one that, that has to be resolved by means of, you know, open discussion and debate. There are a, a range of configurations you can set up. In, a, in most places, um, when you when you have lower donation limits, you do tend to see spending caps as well. And that's been the pattern in Canada. Um, but you're right. It is possible to introduce, uh, to say, reduce the donation limit without introducing a, an overall spending cap. That kind of thing is certainly uh, possible to do. Yeah, and this paper points to something interesting because it, it tends to be that incumbents spend a lot more than than their challengers. And is it because they have more money? And if so, why is it that, that incumbents have that advantage? What, what, what can you tell us about that? This is a really interesting feature of Canadian municipal elections, at least based on the data that we have. It seems that incumbents, even when an incumbent is not under any particular threat from a challenger, they, they still seem to be able to raise a lot of money. And what seems to be happening there, I'm sure the incumbents will like me saying that they're not having trouble raising the money. Uh, I'm sure they work hard to, to fundraise like anyone else, but they seem to have a relatively easy time raising quite a bit of money. And so uh, for that reason, it doesn't seem to be the case that um, the incumbents who are in really competitive races uh, raise more money than the ones who are not in competitive races. That's interesting. Um, because certainly municipal politics you need some name recognition. Incumbents sort of have that built-in advantage. You don't have the benefit like you do provincially or federally of, of the party brand uh, to help raise your profile. So it, it can be really difficult in municipal elections. And I guess that's where money matters because you need signs, you need ads, you need to get your name out there if you want to unseat an incumbent. Yeah, that's right. And it, it is difficult for the challengers to, to get enough profile to, to be able to compete against the incumbent. And and the ones who uh, there are some challengers who work really hard to to raise money uh, for their campaign, and they make good use of that money. But what you can see in the Calgary results is it's it's not clear how much it helps. And there are a lot of cases, pretty high profile cases, going back the last couple of elections, of challengers who raised a ton of money and and didn't win, and in some cases weren't even all that competitive. So it helps. I think you need a certain baseline amount of money to, to run a real challenge campaign. Um, but uh, it's no guarantee. Well, if that's the case, then, does it does it lessen the urgency for addressing this? Well, I think there are reasons to consider reform, even if even if there's no direct link to winning or losing elections. You know, we've seen a lot of debate in this election, and the same was true in the last election, about campaign finance, about who's funding what and where money is coming from. And so reform can sometimes just increase the overall transparency of an election. It can reduce the, the uh, controversy involved in, in campaign finance. It can encourage candidates to pursue smaller donors and a broader base of donors. So those kinds of things can... Um, uh, can have positive effects, even if there is no link to the actual outcome. 
I wanted to bring up third-party groups as well. And, and I mean, I, I do think at some level that if there are outside groups who want to raise issues or, or inject issues into an election campaign, that, that, that we should welcome that. But I know there's some concern that some of these groups can maybe be proxies almost of, of certain campaigns, that I can give the maximum donation to somebody challenging an incumbent, and then I can also turn around and give money to an outside group that's that's targeting that same incumbent. So is, is there a reason that we might need to or want to address that? Yeah, I think the reason you just mentioned is is the one that you'd have to put at the top of the list. It's not a bad thing to have lots of different voices engaged in these city elections, right? Where you get more concerned is if it's possible, just as you say, to uh, channel money through third-party organizations, to circumvent donation limits or other kinds of rules by means of third-party organizations. That's where I think it's more of a concern. So the fact that, that it hasn't changed, and it sounds as though maybe it, it, it will change because the Alberta government certainly made a priority of changing some of the rules provincially. Uh, they haven't yet got around to addressing any of these rules at the municipal level. Do, do you think this will have changed by uh, the, the time we go to the polls again in four years? It sure sounds like it. My understanding is that the provincial government was keen to make this change shortly after they were elected. And it was just too late in the process leading up to the 2017 municipal elections. People felt it would be unfair. There were some who had already started fundraising. It would be a bit like changing the rules in the middle of the game. So they decided to put it off. And, and from what I gather, there's real interest in, in returning to this after these elections. And so what should those rules look like? I mean, what, what would be a, a reasonable limit in terms of donations and spending and how do we address outside groups and, and how they operate? Well, I don't, I don't know that I want to try and lay out what I think the, uh, the perfect system would be because, as I said, I, I think there are a lot of different configurations and, and it does vary from city to city. Yeah. I, I think it would be a good thing for, for us to have... Uh, a public debate about this um, and and to have people's views um, aired about where the donation caps ought to be, whether there should be spending caps and what those should look like. And we have a lot of examples now from provincial, federal and other municipal rules that, that we can build a, a pretty good database of options and I think make a, a good choice from among those. But you think there should be thresholds because what a, a mayoral candidate in Calgary might need to spend is going to be a lot different than someone running for mayor in a, in a small town, for example. Yeah, so the way it often works is that you get, in, in terms of the spending cap, you get a certain amount of money per eligible elector. And so that's a way to adjust for the different sizes of the electorate. So a mayoral candidate can spend a lot more than a ward candidate and uh, and either of those candidates in a big city can spend more than if they were in a smaller place. That's how those overall spending caps tend to work. All right. Some interesting issues. Uh, Jack Lucas, really appreciate making some time for us here today. Thanks for this. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jack Lucas, assistant professor of political science, University of Calgary, uh, policyschool.ca. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the Harper government and the Notley government broke both brought in similar changes. So there seems to be kind of a consensus that banning corporate and union donations makes sense. Harper did it first at the federal level, the Notley government's uh, doing it at the provincial level. So that would make sense to do it at the municipal level. I'd be okay with that. In terms of some donation limits, that might be reasonable too, but I, that's probably as far as we need to go. I don't know that we need spending limits. 
if you got donation limits, that's going to limit how much candidates have to spend anyway. So that seems to me you got that side taken care of it. To have some transparency, too, I think matters. Who's getting money from, from whom? What about that candidate? What about that counselor? What about that mayor? What about that challenger? Where are they getting their money from? I, you know, I think we, sh- we should know. Anyway, 403-974-8255. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.